Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. down every single sport for you on thursday nights from 8 to 10 we are the true voice of the fans so you know we always win from hoops to football the video games baseball hockey the ncaa we give our side because that's all we know this is a labor of love that's why we do this you have show. reached the voicemail box of three one three we can talk all day about who's great Give us a call anytime, 760-539-3269. You know if we could, we would do this every day. Welcome to this episode of Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. Sports Q&A. We are the true voice of the fans. What's good, sports fans? Welcome to another episode of Sports Q&A. I'm Q. And I'm A. And we're in the house. March 28, 2017. Yes, if you're living, your bracket is busted. If your bracket's not busted, I need to call and hear you because you must have did blind luck. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's talk about how you can interact with Sports Q&A. You can follow us on Twitter at Sports underscore QA or at Sports underscore QA underscore preps. Also, follow us on Instagram at sports underscore QA. On the Facebook, follow us. The Facebook page, low L-O-W-E, the letter N, and Washington. And the Facebook group and the Facebook fan page, sports. Go to our website. Check out our latest articles, the podcast, and everything in between www.sportsqanda.com That is www.sportsqanda.com Last but not least, give us a call tonight at 760-539-3269 That's 760-539-3269 What's good, Q? What's good? I'm still recovering from my trip how are you doing from your trip? Well, I know I went cross seas, but you went to the A. So how was that? Uh, 
it was good. I, I'm probably still recovering from my trip more so from you because I traveled with a group of 40 teenagers. And, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's definitely, definitely a whole different uh, ball game. Right. And there's, jet lag has nothing on the lag it is from traveling with a group of teenagers. Not at all. But, hey, I survived. Kids got to see a different part of the country, visit some colleges, experience something that they could talk about for the rest of their lives, and I was glad we were able to provide that form. So what was your best part of going over? I mean, for me, it was getting to see everything that I've studied, saw in books, saw in movies, uh, just saw everywhere, even on TV, up close and personal. Um, seeing the Eiffel Tower, touching the Eiffel Tower, riding up the elevator to get to the top of the Eiffel Tower, seeing the city of Paris from an interesting vantage point, tasting the food, having real croissants, having real crepes. It was was different. It just, I think it's one thing to be able to take in the, the 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 sights and the even the the culture from abroad. The, uh, there's especially going up in Detroit. You know about this to an extent. They're parts of Detroit because they were it was settled by French settlers. That Detroit has French roots, but it's still not the same. Being able to go and actually speak French and interact on a little a small level was it it was exciting. I can just imagine. So my my question is, how, what's the difference between the croissants we have and the croissants they have? More buttery. I I figured that would be it. But that's 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 a good thing. I mean, that's definitely on my bucket list of travel spots. Um, did here's the one thing. Did you see any? Sporting events taking place, whether in the streets or anything else, some soccer, some, I don't even, well, yeah, France, they play soccer over there. Uh, anything that you saw people playing handball, something in the streets, or were they just eating and drinking wine? Actually, I, I didn't. I uh, We rolled past a basketball court. It was, I mean, because of the weather, I think we didn't see it as much. And even from the top of the uh, Eiffel Tower, you could, there was a, a vantage point where you could see a soccer field, but I guess because it was still, while we were there, the, the warmest it got was 63 degrees, but it was averaged around 55, so weren't too many people out there playing sports, so to speak. Um, but I saw evidence and I saw the influence of um, the sports world, the entertainment world, talking to people, um, the hotel I stayed at had a, a very American flair to it. Our concierge, while she was Puerto Rican, she studied at Columbia for our undergrad, so we were able to interact. Our our bellhops were one of them was from Dominican Republic, so he and we, I had a conversation about LeBron James with another guy that was his favorite player. So he followed the the Heat and the, the Cavs and all that stuff. They were talking about even the NCAA tournament for a brief second. So that's one thing I will notice. I will tell you, America 
has influenced this world beyond measure, good, bad, and ugly, if you want to call it. And I think people don't realize how important, and I'm going to just be real, and some people may not like, like how I say this, how important black culture is to this world, not just U.S., not just some of our own pockets, but to this world, having conversations with people about rap music, um, future, the people that we take is, take for granted because we don't listen to them, but the world knows them. Nicki Minaj, Drake, because they traveled there. Um, we just, we were trying to catch if someone was going to have a show there, but we had just missed. This was a, an interesting combination. Joe and Ashanti had a show over there. So, oh, wow. I mean, I don't know how that connected them to touring, but it shows that those type of artists, while they may not get the same love that they used to here, well, Joe still does, but maybe not as much as Ashanti, they're still global. They still are touring. They're still going overseas and, and have a fan base, have a following. And one thing I noticed was, and maybe it was because we were black and they assumed we listened to rap music. But most of the drivers, drivers we were in the cars with when we took Ubers to different places were playing hip-hop music, were playing the, the, the R&B. So it's still impactful. Yeah, and it, I mean, being here and seeing there and it being so far away and you had the iconic things like Eiffel Tower and the Louvre and and all of those things, and it being the quote-unquote romantic capital of the world, you know, it's different to go in and explore it on its own. And, you know, the aspect of influence, I mean, I think if, you know, I know our influence kind of runs deep, but I think it, you may have seen some things there that you probably saw some influence that we have, or we borrowed or repurposed or, or flat-out stolen. Uh, from from their culture because that's what people do when you travel places you bring back the things that you like. Uh, but yeah, right. I mean that's always a a, a great experience. But uh, I mean that's just just wild. That, you know when you look at it and it's really kind of like a you know I'm not gonna say a little America, but it has so many American qualities that you didn't just feel like you were in a foreign land. Yeah, you know. And one thing I will say, and I've heard, because I even talked to my coworker, because she's been, and she had a, a totally different perspective. I think when people, as much as they appreciate American black culture, there's still a segment of this world that sees Americans as arrogant. They see them as, okay, every, we force everyone else to speak English, but we rarely immerse ourselves within their cultures, within their language. And one thing I made a point of doing was, I knew it, but I made sure to brush up on it, was simple phrases in French to break bread, break the ice, to connect, to say, okay, I speak a little French, and I'm willing to try, do you speak English as well? So that way it was a, it was a we broke the barrier. And once people saw that I was at least willing to try. They were a lot more receptive to, to help and advice. But I think that was the one thing we heard, me and my wife heard before we went was, oh, Americans are 
They they ignored us. They were French people are rude. They didn't treat us with respect. Yeah, because you probably went over there asking or demanding to be spoken to in English when they didn't. I mean, I I came across some people that did not speak in English, and I tried my my French, and they worked to an extent and worked, but a lot of times they didn't. But for the most part, you had a lot of people over there that spoke English. They just wanted to see if you were going to try to speak French. If you were going to try being in their country to be at least respectful enough to try. And once they saw that, whether it was our photographers for our photo shoot, whether it was people in the stores, I got so used to it, I had to kind of, when we had our stop over in New York, I had to catch myself because I was still saying it. Because we stopped and grabbed some, some food in New York, and I almost went to my whole spiel at Tu Parlay Anglais because I had been saying it so much that it, it had become a part of me. And, I mean, it, it helped, and it definitely, as I said, that's what made my trip that much more better because I felt more than just a, a tourist. Yeah, I, I kind of experienced a similar thing and when I went to uh, Taiwan, and I was, like, all immersed, like, I'm going to experience this as much on a Taiwanese point of view as possible. And we had people in our group, and this was a group of educators, and one in particular who was totally, I mean, for lack of a better word, disrespectful to their culture. Now, granted, there were some things that I can understand why he didn't. Uh, he was uh, he he was a minister, so there, you know, everything and every meal, there's big offerings of alcohol and everything else. You don't speak the language if you don't drink for whatever reason. You need to find a way to say it in their language because they deem mm-hmm. it as disrespectful when they're buying four hundred dollars, five hundred dollar bottles of vodka, and bringing it to the table, or they're bringing out a. a a seven-course meal with all of these local delicatessens, and you're looking at stuff, asking, literally asking for a McDonald's. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas I ate a whole baby squid because mm-hmm. I wanted to try it, you know. Right. And I was open. The only thing I wasn't open to was eating things that I was allergic to. And they found what I found out what I was allergic to day one, and it was no issues going forward. So. I think if you go in with that mindset as opposed to, hey, this is the greatest country in the world uh, where I come from, so you're going to have to bow down to me, you miss out on the – you waste the opportunity to learn more about the world in itself than just where you are. It's kind of like people in their their one block – I mean one-mile radius that they always stay in. It's the same thing if you go in almost too Americanized uh, into a foreign country without being willing to receive some of the things that they had to offer. That's there, right. I mean, but I think we do that even here. You find people oh. that will travel from north to south or south to north, and because they're so used to doing things their way, or, uh, oh, this is what we do, and so what, I'm in a new area, I'm in a new environment, I'm going to stick to what I know instead of being open. It doesn't mean you have to indulge in it or 
compromise yourself to participate in it, but just see it, just experience it. Okay, okay. Like you said, with the the whole issue of food allergies, find a respectful way of saying, okay, I can't eat this. Not that I don't want to or don't want to try it. I have an allergy. So then your guest, your host, doesn't feel slighted. And I think because we've gotten so far away from that in American society, we go other we go to other places. We go to visit people that still hold true to that and end up looking crazy. I mean, it's it's just interesting. And I've always been taught to be receptive because growing up, my father exposed me to things like that, exposed me to other cultures, exposed me to other ways, even within the U.S. So given the opportunity to leave, leave the country, this is what you do. I mean, when we went to Mexico, my wife, she speaks Spanish a little bit better, so she was trying, she did the same thing. So you have to it's, it's, it's just have that willingness, and I think that's where Americans kind of find themselves, and even I'm going to bring it back to sports to some extent, they, find, they have their ways of thinking about stuff, um, whether it's uh, decisions or outlooks in the sports world, and they're like, oh, I will not be moved. Because we were having, once again, the, 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 the ever-repeating conversation of pay-to-play has been resurfacing lately as we get closer to the, to the draft. And former Michigan tight end Jake Butt brought up the, the whole process of student-athletes, not just football players, not just basketball players, not just revenue-generating athletes, deserve to be more compensated for what they expose themselves to as athletes and the, and the grind and the burden. And on a Facebook group, you had people, oh, they don't deserve it. Mike, you're acting like this is your money that you have to come up with. Like, they're asking taxpayers for this money. And while I'm, I've always been the person not to totally agree with just cutting a $50,000 check and handing it over to these guys, increase the stipend. They're already getting some financial assistance. Increase the, um, increase the, the the cost of attendance stipend. Whether it's make it up fifteen hundred dollars across the board, and then also let allow these students to profit off their likeness. Jake Bush has T-shirt. Michigan has T-shirts circulating around that campus and around this country, saying, "I like Jake Button. I cannot lie," and he's not getting a dime off of that. Why is that? That, that? That's not fair. But you have people that are so staunch in their, their belief, right or wrong, they're not going to be moved by this to see, oh, that's not cool. Would you be okay with somebody as an adult making money off of your name and you can't make money off of it? Or you're not getting a dime off of it? But all people see is, oh, they're amateur athletes. I mean, it, it makes a point. Once again, people see things from their perspective, and their in their eyes is the only is a, is the way to go. And a lot of times, you know, thing, things are never as simple as they appear. And you know, sometimes it's good to see things from the other side. It may not make you change your, your thought process, but it may uh, add more validity to the other point, or just to let you see the plausibility of that side being correct. But, you know, people will be people. 
Love him or hate him. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, let's go to our point counterpoint, and this is something that we we talk about all the time, and people talk about it, especially uh, after states. Uh, talk about all the time regarding the quest for championship and how to make that happen. And we talked about this before. Uh, and I think point kind of point when we talked about how to build a championship through the draft or uh, free agency, and this is kind of on the same wavelength, but not necessarily the same exact topic when it comes to your season. At some point, and this is professional because in college, in college this doesn't work. Uh, losing does not bring on recruits. <laughs> not the top. Um, but what's the way to go? It's mid-season or the, coming down the final stretch. You're faltering. You, you're either fighting for the, for the final playoff spot or you're out of contention. What's your mode of operandum? How are you going to sustain improve the status of your franchise, how are we going to become better? Do we continue to fight, build a uh, more of a close-knit group, a core that fights together even though we're going down and hope we can get more to add to that, or do we look to do the infamous tanking? Yeah. Um, so it is that, that that battle, and everybody has an opinion on it. Uh, traditionally, the old school way is you just play and get it how you how you want it, and uh, yeah, the new age more so is hey, let's be strategic. If we're gonna lose, let's lose with a plan and try to increase our odds, increase the our draft. Well, me, if you don't know me by now, I'm an old school cat. Not just because I'm older than Q, but I'm an old school cat. I believe in playing balls to the wall from beginning to end. Uh, And it probably stems from my own playing experience. Uh, I'll use baseball as my sport of choice of that those that I played, but my first year in baseball, playing any form of baseball, unfortunately, was my only baseball championship. Uh, I played basically no role in that. I think I had three hits on the season. They stuck me in right field, so you know what that means, baseball fans. Um, <laughs> right. But I was at age seven when I finally got around wanting to play baseball after getting a little bit better and and understanding the game more, I played on the team, the infamous Texas Rangers of the Cannon Rec League uh, baseball uh, team. So our first team, now our team, it was a team that, you know, that league had been going on for years and everything else. 
The team apparently was a group of has-beens and newcomers so bad that the coach who agreed to coach the team quit two weeks before the game. So right after the draft, he quit because he didn't have the team that he wanted. So my dad had to pick up the team. Um, this team, granted, we had about four or five guys who, who, who could play, but we had a lot of guys that were learning the game. Fifteen games, we were 0-15. And we weren't like an 0-16 Lions. Well, we probably were because that we lost about every way that you could lose. <laughs> Up big, losing the end of the game, getting shut out, getting smoked, losing one nothing. Uh, that was my one and only year playing pitcher because uh, my goal as a pitcher is like I'm going to make them hit it and y'all catch the ball. And I learned that my field is going to catch the ball. Um, but that season brought upon, brought upon in me a desire to win more than winning did. Um, and fortunately, I was able to see through playing with that same team, with that same core for the most part for three years. And we went from zero wins to three wins to I think in that last season we had eight wins. Got got robbed for a playoff spot. We'll talk about that in during another time, probably Black History Month, because it, it is a, a not so famous history, a moment in Black history. But um, <laughs> I think you really just have to play it through. I mean, this is where today's culture and tech and, and the mentality of instant gratification. Uh, I'm the, everybody's the new GM. Um, we need to go ahead and just just tank it to get get these players. And depending on the league, some of these players I don't want early. <laughs> That's just my opinion. But when you look at at playing it through, seeing what you have on your team, because a lot of times, and you you've seen it a lot with guys guys aren't late butters or late bloomers in in sports. It's the right situation. It's the right coach. It's somebody really seeing the skill set and putting that skill set up front for a player. Uh, and I just think that playing through uh, is is the way to do it because it builds so much. And granted, yeah, GMs are safer with the lose now because, hey, we got a number one pick. It gives a chance. Hey, we took a quarterback number one. It gives us some years, but hey, how did that work out for Jeff Fisher? Didn't work right. out too well. So, so the thing is, is I think that playing it through long, long term could be more beneficial because you have a longer possibility. Because if I have guys, young, especially young guys, that are on the team and we're struggling together, then ideally you would look probability of us moving forward and growing together increases instead of the the opposite end of bringing in new guys that may or may not pan out and the mentality hasn't changed. Because if you purposely tank, and this came up dealing with our, our Detroit Pistons where it seemed like that's what they're doing when two weeks ago they were fighting for the number eight spot and they really can only drop really two spots to maybe 10, uh, you know, maybe get the 10th pick. One player is not going to make them a championship contender. 
uh, and that's the one other thing that you're doing. Now, in other sports where it's more players and higher, it could be plausible, but I think long run, and I, I'm, I'm a data person. I would love to be able to pull the data and look and see. Let's look at teams that tanked, and then let's look at a five-year window, and let's see how, what percentage of those teams made the playoffs, how many of them won championships, and, and, and going forward from there. Because I just think – end of the day a team is a team there is no i the selfishness should dissipate and you grow take your lumps as a team and move forward but that's my point true now and and see i'm not too far from your in my counterpoint but i believe if you have it's not a complete give up but if you're in a situation and I'm going to mention a team like the Phoenix Suns that is one of the – I can't remember what college team it was, but I think they, they're starting – Phoenix Suns starting lineup is younger than a couple of was – was younger than a couple of teams left in the NCAA tournament before this past weekend, before we got to the Final Four. So that means that they, they have a lot of guys that are still finding their way through but then they also have some, some veterans on that team. They still have Eric Blatt, so they still have uh, oh, Brandon Knight um, and, and a couple of older pieces. If you're in a position where you know you're not going anywhere, which they aren't, uh, why not stick your your older players or, or, or limit it? First off, let me preface this. I'm not one for completely sitting players. Limit their minutes if they're used to getting 38 minutes a game. Knock them down to 25. Um, if so, if you look at someone like a a, um, a Brandon Knight, if he's still starting, so he or, or he was one of your starters, knock down his minutes. Uh, maybe still start him, but don't play him as much. Play some of the other guys. Play the Devin Booker's of the world who dropped 70 points a couple of nights ago. Um, so we, we we definitely have seen an uptick in his production as the season goes. So he's one of those guys that that is subscribing to your theory, so to speak, Al, of still playing hard as hard as possible, even though there's nothing left in the season. So you have to find ways of integrating these young guys while still keeping the old older guys entertained. Now, when you're going to as far as the the other conversation of resting players with um with the, the, the playoff contenders, we've seen the, the LeBrons, we've seen the Kawhi Leonard's with San Antonio uh, sit after even in Golden State a couple of nights, well, about a week ago, a week or two ago, their three key starters missed the whole game. They decided, Steve Kerr decided, and it had been predetermined, oh, Steph, Clay, and, and Draymond are going to sit. The unfortunate thing about it was, the game happened to coincide. The game that they were sitting happened to be a primetime game on ABC. So not only are you sliding the fans that have paid hundreds of dollars to see them in person, now you have people that were going to tune into the game saying, "Why watch? This is a this is a a JV game, so to speak." So that's why I go back to the whole thing of if you. You can rest these guys, but you don't have to sit them completely because it's it's one of those things where 
it, it's, it's tainting the, the, the sanctity of the game, but you have to make sure that these guys are ready for the grind of the playoffs. You look at LeBron, who up until this past season, who this past Olympics, how many straight finals has he been to? How many straight years of playing playoff, long playoff basketball, uh, preparing for the Olympics or the World Championships has this guy done? And yes, he's still only, I think, 31, 32, but the mileage on his body says something totally different. And if you're in that position of chasing that another championship, you have to kind of look towards resting this guy a little bit more, cutting his minutes per my suggestion a little bit more than you would someone else. And and maybe that sucks for the fans as far as being able to see him playing a full game, but I guarantee you right now, you ask Cleveland Cavalier fans, given the choice, which would you rather have? LeBron cut his minutes by 15, 10%, 15%, and you may not, and you may not see him as much against in the matchup against the Minnesota Timberwolves or the, should even the San Antonio Spurs in the regular season. But he's he's primed and ready to go by the time they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and he's able to carry them to the the NBA Finals and another championship. Most fans will say, rest that boy. I mean, San Antonio has been doing this for years. Everybody. Now just all of a sudden is up in arms because LeBron and some of these other stars are doing it. But Popovich set the trend, and I guarantee not too many people are going to doubt the, the, the greatness of Popovich, who I will consider to be one of the top three NBA coaches of all time. And truthfully, I put him above uh, Phil Jackson, but that's a whole different conversation. So, if it's good enough, for, if it's good enough for pop, it's good enough for me. Yeah, that situation. Um, I was real surprised the NBA um, came out with a statement threatening to to fine and teams for all that. Where when San Antonio has been doing it literally for probably a decade, uh, it just hadn't been as publicized. Uh, and I think the only reason is because the NBA got egg on their face by it kind of correlating with one of the new Saturday night special games. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's not against the rules. You Now you're trying to create a rule and, and change the rules in the middle of the game. Um, it's right. not going to stop doing it. So the thing is, is that what you have to do and and this is the harder th- harder thing to do is to get teams to stop uh, cra- uh, raising prices when the the premier teams come in town. You're right. going to sell out. Anyway. You're going to sell out anyway. That's greed. So you had these prices, and I'll use this as an example. When I was in Atlanta, and this was March 19th to the 20th, when we pulled in the night of the 19th. Early on the 20th, look at the sign. It says Atlanta versus Cleveland, April 12th. So they're promoting the game almost a month away, and you may not have star players. But yet, still, you overcharge them and say, oh, well, 
There's no, it's not like, hey, well, if the star players don't come, concessions are going to be cheaper. Or you get this, this, uh, this hat, or you get this shirt to, for your, for your troubles. See, you get nothing. A Coke and a smile that you pay $12 for the Coke. <laughs> right. And that's the thing that the NBA complaining is basically that to a, an attempt to act like they have the back of the fans. But if you truly had the back of the course they don't. The can overstep and say, hey, if you had tickets to this game, we'll give you a $15 voucher to the NBA.com. That helps everybody. Or $25. Mm-hmm. But you got to buy something that costs at least $50. Now, you it's a win-win. But they're not thinking like that because fans be like, oh, cool. But they're not thinking in that aspect. That's when you're truly about the fans. Hey, you know, we're going to really look out for you. But no, that's, that's, like I said, that's not what they're doing. So, you know, it's just a a fake attempt for them to continue to to do what they do and try to, quote, unquote, justify and and slap the hands of the owners who's making billions of these whatever fines. You're not finding nobody a million dollars for sitting their players. So what? If you find the coach. I'll get you the, the the team will find a way to make sure that it's paid for, and he still gets his money. Pop ain't gonna care. Pop is just all about winning ships. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, if they that's a drop in the bucket if they can guarantee uh, a Western Conference uh, Finals appearance, and, and not to mention getting back to the finals, considering the whole situation. I mean, with them being with having Golden State in their way, so it's. That's a risk that they're willing to take. And and as we said earlier, they've been doing this for years. Now, because it's a trend across the league, uh, the NBA and the powers that be want to, oh, you can't do this. No, we've been doing this for years. Y'all just didn't care. So, just interesting. Yeah. It's interesting, for sure. We have spilled over into our first half hour, so let's hear from our sponsors, and we shall be right back. This half-hour sports Q&A has been brought to you by Crush Media Group, Progressive Greek, Next Step Mentoring, Ticket Wave, and Fan Siding. Welcome back to Sports Q&A. It is 9.08 in the p.m. on Tuesday. I was about to say Thursday. Tuesday, March the 28th, make sure you give us a call at 760-539-3269. That's 760-539-3269. So let's get into things that are a little more perplexing and complex. Things like the bracket, where there is no science, there is no rhyme or reason, because it's all pure luck. As much common sense as it makes, as greatest teams appear to be playing in one match and fall asleep in the next, we have finally got down to our final four. And our final four is quite the hodgepodge of teams. Right. Where you look at a perennial power in North Carolina, you look at once a Cinderella now advancing to their first Final Four in Gonzaga to looking at a team who in its whole history of NCAA had won four games and have won four games in this 
tournament in South Carolina. In my mind. Oregon. Oh, and Oregon, who hasn't won a championship since 1937, I think. So you have almost a situation where it's in the minds of a lot of people, North Carolina versus the field. Uh, But to be honest, looking at these four teams and basing it purely solely on the Elite Eight matchup, North Carolina was the fourth best team. Yeah, they hit a game-winning shot. But when you look at the overall play in the games, in the matchups, North Carolina played probably its worst game. And they just, it just so happily matched Kentucky's worst game. It was a 7-0 uh, run here, a 7-0 run here, seven minutes without getting up a shot. Who does that and still wins the game? The Tar Heels. Yep. So we're going to get more into more in depth with our uh, <clears throat> the final four, but we have to talk about the sports Q and A bracket challenge. And I am pulling up. Ah, <sighs> it pains me. I'm pulling up our bracket and our standings, and. I want to apologize that some of our people were not able, specifically my sister from another mister, my former co-worker, Jennifer Monk, uh, her bracket somehow did not save, so I am going to have to hand score it. I'll do it at the end. So we're going to go from the bottom to the top, and then we can really break break down ours and and really talk about where ours broke down. Uh, So in, I don't know what place this is. It, it doesn't matter at this point. Whoever, uh, H is has 36 points with a possible match points of 71. Diva picks, Lala, 37. Sweet 16, who's B, 35. Then Jeffrey's match back bracket, 40. K. Kyle's big money grips, he has 40 as well. Uh, lucky bracket sneakers and heels thirty nine, but it has a max of eighty. Purify your uh, your life's bracket forty one with a max of eighty one. And here comes Q with his excellent bracket. Right now he has thirty seven points, but he has a possible eighty one. Oh, he has thirty seven. Sorry, thirty seven correct picks. Let me correct that. All those were correct picks, uh, but with our uh, our our scoring mechanism is not one point per pick. Otherwise, we would really have a different uh, segment. Uh, Darren's my terrific bracket bracket at 39 correct, 85 possible points. I'm just above Darren with 39 correct picks, 88 potential points. Jalen's my super bracket, uh, 42 correct picks, 96 potential points. Uh, Janelle's Blazing Brackets, uh, 40 points, uh, 40 correct, and possible 96. And then our top two, Coley Gracie's Revs Revelation, 42 correct, a max of 100. And at the top, 
a rookie in our league, Hal Hurd, Hal's ingenious bracket. He has 46 correct, which is outstanding. That's a high in the whole uh, challenge. And a max point of 122. So I'm going to go through my bracket really quick. I can already tell you without looking where I looked <laughs> Uh, we talked about it. I always have one dark horse, which is the final, which I have as the final four team. Really looked at a team, and I actually watch this team far more than I I, I used to. Number one, because Quinn covers it from time to time, uh, covers it throughout the season. But I saw them playing well. Saw them playing well in the tournament, and they laid the biggest goose egg in the first round, in my opinion, because I had them going somewhere. And that's SMU Mustang. Uh, they jacked me all up because I had them going to the Final Four. Um, another team that uh, really messed me up, and that was in the East. Another team that messed me up uh, was, I would say, Arizona. Uh, fell asleep on that game. I think Arizona messed it up. Arizona messed me up. I had it Arizona in the championship. It wasn't in the East. I mean, in the West. I, I looked at oh, okay. said East. I just came from out of the East. In the West, Arizona, uh, with them losing to Xavier. Um, and then uh, out of the South, UNC, I had them coming out. That's my only Final Four team. I can get no more points because I had UNC losing to the team who I'm almost in, you know, in football, you have Clemson in, which really isn't Clemson in anymore, but it, it it fits a certain type of play. Um, I'm going to rename it in college basketball as Jayhawking now. Um, Kansas Jayhawks, they have known to stumble or get their feathers plucked in the elite eight round uh, multiple times, uh, even though Bill Self has a championship with them, you would think that he doesn't the way that they eat him alive when he does not make it to the final four. But yeah, Kansas, in all honesty, I, I really believe going into the um, elite eight game, uh, well, no, not the Elite Eight. Yeah. Yeah, going into Elite Eight game, Kansas was playing the best ball. I mean, they were getting mm-hmm. inside and out. They were putting up crazy points. I mean, you look at Kansas, they put up 190 and 98. Who would have thought that Oregon would be able to slow the rock down Make them settle for so many bad shots, take so many bad shots, hold Josh Jackson to zero points, and hold them the team to thirty. I mean, to sixty points. That's based on how they were. That's crazy. They were putting up UNLV numbers. I was about to say Loyal Marymount, but that was nowhere near Loyal Marymount numbers. But right. They were putting up UNLV numbers when they were at, they won by an average. What is that? Twenty two, twenty. And then 38. They were winning by over an average almost 30 points a game. That's crazy. And then they just win. Literally, I promise you, 
I did not watch a minute of the Kansas Oregon game. I I was watch I was doing something. I watched Kansas. I saw Kansas being down. I said, "All right, it's just halftime." And I was watching I was watching the tracker, and I'm like, "Okay, they about to turn it up." And then I kept checking it. I think my kids were watching some. I kept checking it, and I said, "Oh, okay, it's two and a half. They down by six. Let me go ahead and turn." I had to go get some milk or something. I came back and they were down by ten. And I said, "Oh, <laughs> so it was no need for me to turn." And my and my and my bracket and everything else was done. I bowed out ungracefully, never to be heard of again till next year. But then that was pretty much uh, the breakdown. Kansas, I had them going once again. I picked them before the bracket, of course. I mean, before the tournament, of course. And they just, by a chance, be was playing the best ball. Um, they just did not show up. Uh, and I'm not knocking Oregon, um, but I always look at things with a game in, in games. If both teams bring their best game, Oregon, I mean, uh, Kansas will win. I, I'm I'm certain of that, but that's not what happened. So. Right. That's what happens. You don't show up. So I bowed out gracefully. I'm done with points. You know, I'm just here as the host. Uh, won't be a two-time winner. I'll, I'll take that and, and tuck my tail in, and I'm out. So what about you, Q? Where where, where did you go wrong? Uh, I went wrong a number of places. Um, I thought I I'm going to start with the East and just kind of go – uh, region by region. Uh, I thought I was doing something when I picked Wisconsin over Villanova in the, to make it to the, the round of 32. I, I will make it to the Sweet 16. I just did not trust Villanova this year, and, and despite them winning last year, you mentioned the term jayhawking. Villanova has always been one of those teams that when you expect them to do well, they don't. And I think that's what kind of put them in a great position last year. Nobody was expecting Villanova to win. And they kind of snuck up on a bunch of teams, and it took a miracle shot for them to beat UNC. So I figured this is the year they come back down to earth. And true enough, they did. I, I mean, I think this was, and this is not just for this region, but this this bracket for me, I kind of went hard with the Big Ten. And you'll see in, in another one of my regions why I say that. Um, I wasn't as bold as you with the SNU pick, but I did have them at least beating USC. I missed the game being in Paris, so I don't know what happened. They said it was the last, the last uh, possession for SMU was pretty horrible, so I think that's what kind of messed them up. They didn't get a good shot, and I think I said this before with the callers um, on the air a couple of weeks ago. Point guard play will get you somewhere or get you gone, and I think because Shake Milton was still trying to find his way as a point guard, they probably didn't get the shot that they really wanted, whereas if this was last year's team with Nick, with Nick Moore and some more senior leadership, more diverse in your leadership, I think they win that game easily. Um, everything else was pretty much chalk in that region. 
picked South Carolina to beat Marquette, had Duke. Um, that second round, nobody, I mean, except for South Carolina fans, saw that Duke upset. But this is, I think, if I if I had watched that game, because I hadn't seen much of South Carolina play until they played Florida. Um, South Carolina is that team that you hate to face because they, they have a bunch of junkyard dogs on their roster, and they're going to play you tough. They're going to play you hard. And this is why Michigan struggled against them early in the year. They out-rebounded the Wolverines. They out-tough the Wolverines, and they got some key shots. So I think that's what happened against Duke. When you If you punch Duke in the face, a lot of times Duke kind of falters, and that's what happened. That's what sent them packing. Um, was all set, had Wisconsin beating Florida. Perfect scenario, perfect situation. And they forget how to play defense. The last the last possession of the game. Not only do you have Nigel Harris, a point uh, 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 power forward, checking a, a speedy guard, then the other guard, he just walks, he moves out of his way and hits an improbable shot. So that, that killed me because I had Wisconsin. Well, at least, hold on, where did I have? Where did I have coming out of that bracket? I had Duke, so either way, I was screwed. Um, going to the West, I had Gonzaga losing to Arizona in the regional finals. So I, I, I believed in the Zags a little bit more than I have in past years because I figured they, everybody was talking about their guard play, and I talked about this in my prediction. I, I think that stepped up this year. They got a couple of transfers from, from some major programs from one of the guys came from Washington. Another guy came from, I can't think of the program offense. They got some big guard, some, some big-time play from some, some guard transfers and that helped. But the game that kind of screwed me in this bracket was the Xavier, Arizona. Um, had Xavier, picked Xavier to beat Maryland. Um, I had them losing to Florida. And for them to dominate Florida State the way they did, was kind of surprising. Uh, I figured the length of the, the Seminoles would kind of give them fits, but it didn't. And that carried over against Arizona. But that size, size and length are two different things. And I think the size of Gonzaga kind of wore them down. And it just put, it finally put Mark Few in a situation where he's able to get, even though he, he claims it's not a monkey, but he was able to get that pressure off of him of finally getting the team to that, to the, to the elusive Final Four. Now, going to the Midwest, kind of similar. This is where my Big Ten loyalty kind of bit me in the butt. Um, had Kansas beat Michigan State, so I laughed that off. But in the Sweet 16, I picked Purdue. I don't know why I picked Purdue. I figured the inside game of Haas and um, – Caleb Swan again would be too much, but if you can't get them the ball, they can't score. And Kansas did a great job with their guards, limiting the inside pass, and it just got ugly. I saw pieces of that game, and I'm like, wow. This, for them to get blown out the way they did was just kind of embarrassing. Uh, the Michigan team, I saw them. Was excited for them to 
get past the, the, the Oklahoma State game. Did not think they was going to beat uh, Louisville. And they got past them. And from that point, I was like, okay, they can beat Oregon. And they should have beat Oregon. But um, this was this shows that it's a matter of inches. Uh, a missed layup by DJ Wilson, um, an ill-advised, uh, ill-timed uh, offensive rebound led to some points, and they just couldn't overcome it. I, I think that's the one thing that Michigan has always struggled with, offensive rebounds and, 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 and key moments. They got past. I mean, they carried them through. They found ways of getting through it with with uh, the Big Ten tournament, but just the NCAA tournament, it just didn't happen. Now, going down to the South, I drank the Kool-Aid for the UCLA Bruins. I figured I saw them play a couple of times, saw them play against Michigan when they ran them out the gym, saw, uh, saw them play against Arizona a couple of times, and I figured, okay, Lonzo Ball. TJ Leaf, they got a couple. They have a nice inside-outside game, but the athleticism of Kentucky was too much. So I had UCLA not only making it out of that bracket, but winning the tournament. So to see, I had UNC, I had them beating UNC, and UNC right now, like you said earlier, it's like they did not play their best game against Kentucky, but you can have those moments. And if you can escape with the win, that's all that matters. I think that's that's the the mantra that so many people hold on to with the, the tournament is survive to the next round. And that's what you and I think that's what UNC did. And looking at this matchup with Oregon, uh, I think UNC is too deep. Uh, so I think that's where they're going to get caught up in that. And Gonzaga, South Ooh, Carolina. Hold your picks. Hold your picks. All right. Hold your picks because we got a caller on the air to see what our caller is is want to talk about in the NCAA tournament. Let's get this caller on. Hey, caller, you on the air? Hey, how you guys doing? You doing all all right, right. We're talking about the final four. Okay. Well, let me tell you how my bracket went. Actually, we're talking about everything. You know how it is. Well. Well, I'm, we talking about the final four. Let me tell you how my bracket went. Uh, my bracket didn't go nowhere because I didn't pick one. I watched <laughs> the games. I watched the games and I peeked at them after the three sixteen. But uh, since we're not picking yet for the final four, I mean for the for who's going to win it all, um, what surprised me more than anything so far is obviously, you know, South Carolina being there. But, you know, they they, they have an NBA player on that roster and and he came to play. The the biggest, biggest surprise for me was that Oregon Kansas game. I thought Kansas was just gonna dominate them boys. But as in any 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 sports, if you don't come to play and you ain't on your game, you can get beat. And Kansas right. got beat because they did not shoot well. You cannot shoot thirty five percent and let Oregon shoot fifty percent from the floor. You can't shoot twenty 
40% from three, while Oregon is shooting 44. And you definitely can't get out rebound 33 to 25 and expect to win. And back to your point, Q, like you said last week, that game was was dominated and dictated by guard play. And I did not see Dylan Ennis scoring 12 or Tyler Dorsey coming in with 27. They they yeah. they, 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 they they basically outplayed the Kansas, and they got dominated by the front court. And when you got Josh Jackson, who was the man against uh, uh, Purdue, and, and, I mean, when they averaging 30 points win, he, they was just having their way. He only ended up with 10 points, you know, on eight shots. So each time you progress, you can't you can't think about what you did. You got to think about what you got to do. And uh-huh. if I ask you a question right now, if I ask you a question midway through the season, who was the better team, Kansas, North Carolina? Who would you say? Kansas. Kansas. Kansas was the, Kansas is a better team. So if Oregon, now I ask myself, was that Kansas? Perform like that because of Oregon's defense, or was it just you know a matter of it just wasn't at night? That boy Dylan Brooks, he may have had something to do with that because you know all things being equal, give me size and brute. Everything else being equal, the height, the speed, the ability, give me the size. And it was something about his game. I just I don't like it because it's all just like a bull in a china shop. But he finishes <laughs> at the rim. He finishes uh-huh. at the rim, and he just wear the other team down. I mean, he just don't stop. So was that did, – did that wear down – did they put Josh Jackson on him that much where it affected his play? Because let me tell you, once you get banged a couple of times, I don't care what you play in hockey. Football, basketball, once you get banged a couple of times, you're either going to put up or you're going to step back and like, wait a minute, I ain't going to get involved this night. This boy a little bit too ready for me. So I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you mine. Now, I'm picking Oregon to get with North Carolina because if they can get with Kansas City, they can get with North Carolina. I don't care how how deep North Carolina is. Keep bringing them. You only can put five on the floor at a time. Keep bringing them. <laughs> and, if, and, if, and if Tyler Dorsey, if Ty, and he's the key, because Dylan's going to get his. If Tyler Dorsey mm-hmm. gives them, if Tyler Dorsey gives them 18 points and, uh, and five or six assists, they're going to win. Because he was the X factor. He scored 27 in that game. And also, shooting. You mentioned Frank Mason getting off the key. Was Devontae Graham for Kansas scored three points? Now going back to his right. previous games, he had uh, what was it? He had ten against TCU and their loss in the uh, Big Twelve tournament. He had sixteen versus UC Davis, eighteen versus State, twenty six versus Purdue, yep. five right. and nine for three. But against Oregon, he was zero seven. From the field, for three, three field goals. That's right. I mean, three free throws, yeah. and that's that's the thing. When... Go 
Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, you that, that was an issue. Yeah, you can't. If, if, if Oregon comes out of the shoot, I'm picking Oregon and South Carolina. I'm picking Oregon mm-hmm. and South Carolina. It's gonna be it's gonna be that final Oregon and South Carolina. I, I was happy when Duke lost. I was happy when when Kentucky lost. I was happy when <laughs> Kansas lost. I'm gonna be happy when Gonzaga lost. You know, because South Carolina gonna get with them boys, and Oregon gonna get with North Carolina. Get North Carolina ass out of here. I can't stand them. So it's gonna be Oregon. To South Carolina, and Oregon gonna win. Wasn't Dylan Brooks yeah, the man. player of the year? I don't even know. Uh, I don't think he was. He was in the same conference as Lonzo Ball, so I don't know how they kind of set that up. Oh yeah, I was glad when UCLA lost too. <laughs> I was so glad when they got popped. Was, was that was that Lonzo because Ball. of them or his, his daddy? daddy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your daddy, your family is your family. You can choose your friends, but your family is your family. And he got a crazy daddy. That man is crazy. Quinn may call his daddy crazy, but I'm not that crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And he's still still chipping off at the mouth, but back to the final four. So those are my picks, and I'm I'm moving for Oregon, and I'm moving for South Carolina. I'll sit back and listen to you guys and see what you guys have to have to say. I'm not hanging up unless you get another. All right. Call. All right. Well, we appreciate it, caller. Uh, so, I mean, with me, I talked about we talked about uh, Kansas prior to them laying an egg against Oregon being the most impressive team, but to me, behind that, and probably to my own demise, because I didn't pick them to go that that far, I picked them to get upset, I think, about West Virginia, I think. I don't don't even want to look at my bracket. But I picked uh, – Gonzaga is playing the most balanced game offensively, Um, where it's kind of like about seven guys can put up double figures and that's kind of hard to defend. I don't see them being the best defensive team. I just see them being close to – it's really close to them being the, the the top offensive team and veteran team left out there. But you look at North Carolina, how they lost last year, the core of that team coming back. Once again, point guard is hurt. He was hurt during the last game. He made some gutsy plays, and still, I, I'll find it hard pressed him not playing in the mm-hmm. championship game. Um, but uh, that's who I want to see. Um, but South Carolina, and you look at coaching. I want to say the the team that they have in the coaching style. To me, I think who's doing the best coaching job is, is uh, the South Carolina coach, Martin. Uh, as crazy yeah. as he may look, he has that team fully engaged, fully uh, on top of what they're 
going to do and not living in the historic moment that they're in. Now, granted, all of the buzz, which Final Four brings and the paparazzi and all that extra stuff, will he be able to keep them away and keep them on track with playing the type of ball that they're playing? I mean, they're kind of playing us against the world. Nobody expected us to be here. Nobody expected us to, to go as far as we have. Is that the mantra that he's going, or is it business as usual? Uh, it seems like it's business as usual, uh, which could bode well for whoever they face going forward if, uh, you know, they win the first matchup and, and get to the championship. I mean, it's before I get into my picks, and I know I'm, I'm jumping way back, but before I get into my picks, when you look at this this tournament overall, and I know you missed about a, a third to a half of the tournament being out of town. What is your entertainment value of this tournament? You know, uh, I watched some some matchups that should have been or were pegged to be or had the number one broadcasting team but necessarily didn't live up to it. But I saw some great performances. Like, uh, I'm mm-hmm. trying to think. What is that uh, guy? Uh, shoot. I'm trying to think of this guy. He was a, like a 6'1 point guard. He scored 30 points either in the first round. I think it may have, uh, in the first round or the second round. Team, I think his team had upset in the first round. But it was one of those efforts. Where this guy was the true leader of the team, he gave all everything that he had and left it on the court. I didn't see enough of that. I I saw a lot of man. It seemed like people waiting for somebody else, or somebody just trying to be the star instead of just somebody just saying, "This is me playing, willing, just just playing, balls to the wall." Um, and once again, maybe it's the old school in me. It's not too many guys that do that. The guys who are stars, they don't necessarily do that either. Um, but it's just something to be said when a player, and you can see him, just put everything out there. Like the big fella for, for Gonzaga. Uh, the, uh, right. He, he he leaves it out there um, every time. Uh, you just see certain players that just – lay it out there, and to me, that's the beauty of the college game because you have guys, and I'm going back to somebody that hurt our hearts as Michigan fans, Donald Williams. You guys mm-hmm. who just come out of nowhere, or you look at Spike, or you look at, I can't remember the guy from Louisville who matched Spike the last three minutes of the, uh, the first half that got Louisville back in the game. Those are the type of performances that make the tournament the tournament. If it, the tournament games were like the regular season games for the most part, people wouldn't care. They wouldn't pay attention because it is not all entertaining, you know. So for me, uh, I would say it was above average, especially with the upsets. The first weekend was definitely above average. Uh, the second weekend kind of died down. I mean, you know, you are you had your upsets of your of your you had your matchups. You had a lot of close games. I mean, you look at Michigan's games, 
those games, those three games were decided by a total of six points. It's crazy. You know, so you see, I mean, to finish the Wisconsin-Florida, the Florida game, going into overtime, being a, uh, the equivalent of a buzzer beater, three-pointer for Florida. I mean, those are the type of things that you look for. Those, hate to be cliche-ish, but those one-shining moments that you can only get in the tournament. And to me, I think that that added to it. This is the time that it brings out people who may not be fans, but they you bring on more watchers. And I think that mm-hmm. I think the data states that you know that first weekend of the tournament was a historic one, um, and it should have been based upon uh, uh, based upon the results. Now, what I what, will say about this tournament in comparison to past years, and this been has been reiterated a, a couple of times. It shows where the misseedings kind of were apparent and how the committee has to, moving forward, has to do a better job with seeding because there's no reason why Wisconsin should have been an eighth seed. There's no reason why, I mean, being just honest, Michigan, should, as a, the, the tournament champion of the Big Ten, should have been a seventh seed. So you look at uh, Notre Dame was over, overseeded Minnesota. I mean that every outside of Minnesota fans, I think every the most obvious five twelve upset was that Middle Tennessee game versus Minnesota because for one Minnesota was seated too high and I think I'm going to limit say Middle Tennessee State was seated too low. I mean you return, I think they won both the regular season and the conference tournament. They returned maybe. Four or five guys from last year's team that upset Michigan State as a 15 seed, and you still put them as a 12 seed. Um, the, the Wichita State versus Dayton. Wichita State was misseeded as a 10 seed, and you see they almost popped uh, Kentucky in that in that next round. So it was it was too many situations. Even Xavier being an 11 seed was misseeded. So I think next year they have to find some way of being a little bit better because with how they they pick these games, how they set these games up, are they setting them up to uh, compensate these uh, teams being in certain regions? I mean, I heard plenty of Duke fans upset that uh, South Carolina, the South Carolina matchup was a home game for the lower seed, but that was because of what happened with North Carolina and that that gender bathroom. Uh, law with them, with them pulling that game out of the state of North Carolina, they didn't know putting that game in Columbia, South. I mean, uh, putting them in, putting that game in Clemson, South Carolina was going to end up being a home game for the Gamecocks, so to speak. Um, so, hopefully, like you said, there it was some good games in the first round, even the second round. But I don't, I don't see even without having watched the games, I don't see any of those. Barn burners in the in the scores. We did, we saw a handful of we. The, there is no three fourteen upset or nor uh, those high upsets that we've kind of gotten the past couple of years. So I think outside of the misseeding, everything somewhat went chalk affected. Um, even when there was an upset, it wasn't too far out the realm when people were like, "Okay, that was just bad." We didn't see. 
even with Iowa State over Nevada. A lot of people had Nevada upsetting Iowa State, but Monty Morris, the Flint native, did what he had to do to carry that team to the next round. They lost to Purdue, but in in, in the uh, round of 32, but you don't see that game where it's like, wow, I didn't see that coming uh, too much. And I think that's also what makes that first weekend of the tournament so much greater because you you see that disparage between upsets and easy victories. Or as, as you get as you proceed from the, the round of 32 to the Sweet 16, most of that stuff was was chalk. You, I mean, we saw the Michigan Louisville game, but once again, that goes back to was Michigan truly a seven seed, and should they have been on that same line with the, the likes of South Carolina? Uh, who else was a seven seed? Um, Dayton and St. Mary's. They shouldn't have been on that same seed, uh, on that same seed line. And even with, even though uh, SMU lost, you look at the fact that you had SMU who won the conference tournament and the regular season tournament and split the season head-to-head matchup with Cincinnati, but they're on the same seeding line. How is that fair to SMU? Where's the benefit for winning during the regular season, if you're the same, essentially they're looked at as the same team. There's not, and that and that's the thing is, they never really answered those questions. Um, when you look at, I mean, you mentioned a lot of examples, but to me, I think the most glaring one of the overseeding was the Minnesota and. Underseeding to me was um, probably, arguably, Middle Tennessee State. You also talked about uh, uh, Middle Tennessee State. When you look at what they did last year and who they had returning, they gave them no credit at all. And, and, and in some ways, gave them, a, you know, even though they gave them, a, I ain't going to say a favorable matchup, but it ended up being a favorable matchup, even though, it ended up being a win, but you know they they were the underdog. So it's a. I think they got the right teams. I don't think t- teams had gripes. Uh, you know, not being in the tournament, uh, Syracuse probably will argue differently. Uh, but uh, I just think that the seeding the seeding process there has to be something that's more uh, a standardized process that. They have to do to get folks on on the right page. So, because um, I think it adds to the competitiveness. I think it adds to uh, to to the interest. If you have, I mean, to me, if you have better first round matchups and people see it right, it adds to the entry. It makes it like the draw that Michigan had. That was a tough draw. Those first two games. How many how mm-hmm. many eight seeds would have came? Uh, came out of there. Not eight. What was Michigan? The seven? Seven seed. Right. How many seven seeds would have came out of there? Now, granted, South Carolina came out of there, but if they were over there in, the, in that same matchup, how many would they have come out? You know, that's a tough nah. a tough pool. Somebody who who was in a, what, a four-way tie for, for fifth in the Big Ten or fourth, you know, and won the, the championship, which absolutely meant – Absolutely nothing for any neither one of the participants. 
Wisconsin should be there should be some type of grievance that they file, even though people will say they belly aching. Um, but them being the eight seed, but granted they end up being you were the number two team in the Big Ten, made it to the conference championship game in the tournament, and you get rewarded with being an eight seed. Have to face if you get past a tough Virginia Tech team. You had to face the reigning national champion and what some people would say was the number one overall seed. Right. That, but that I mean, goes to shoot, Northwestern got a better draw than Wisconsin did, considering that they had to face Gonzaga in the second round or look at Arkansas versus UNC or Miami versus as far as the other eight seeds. I do. That's not fair for a team that played as well as they did throughout the regular season. So I guess you got to ask, your, ask the question, okay, how much stock did they put in the regular season? How much stock did they even consider the how a team was playing in the, in the conference tournament? And my biggest gripe, and, and I think I may be standing alone in this, is the fact that you still have conference tournament winners playing in that, that first four match, that should be resolved for the last four in or the last eight in. I don't care whether it's mid-major or power five or power six or whatever they want to call it. Those should be the eight teams playing in. The last eight teams in the tournament need to be playing in those four games. Why is North Carolina Central, who won the MEAC, playing in that game? You can still make them a 16 seed, whatever you got to do, but you need to find some way of whether making that the 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 12th the, the 12th seed game and 11 seed games. Those are the teams that have to play play in. I guess they got it right with Providence and USC, uh, maybe Mount Saint Mary's and what I don't know if they won the conference or not. The 11 seed games they got right, but that 16 seed game, no. They did what they were supposed to give them the benefit of playing on Thursday or Friday, which we still all consider the beginning days of the NCAA tournament. You're not rewarding the teams for winning the conference tournament, doing what they're supposed to do. You're forcing them to play another game and hope that they win just to be invited to the party because I don't count that as the first round. That's something totally different. First round starts on that Thursday or that Friday. That's true. Um, yeah, and they, I mean, to me, I almost want to say if you had teams that won their conference tournaments, even if it's those those smaller conferences or not higher-ranked conferences, they should minimum get a 15 seed. Let all the play-in uh-huh. games be 16 seeds. I, I don't understand the concept of, a playing game being 11 seed. So that means that you have uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. You have 20 teams that are lower ranked than those teams. And then this team is apparently a higher ranked team has to play in to get an 11 seed. That makes no sense. I don't, I don't understand uh-huh. the rhyme or reason. So either those teams aren't 11 seeds because you shouldn't have a tie at an 11 seed. If they don't fit that 11 line, they should go further down. So why is there a log jam for four teams to fit into two 11 seed? Or were there three 11 seed games? And, and, or is it two 11 and two 16? 
because I really didn't pay attention. So, you know, those are the things that can be tweaked. Uh, but overall, you know, everybody was able, you know, the tournament has been a success overall. A 10% increase in viewership over last year, which which is good. The one thing which is I which I is which is hilarious to me is that the the um, Kentucky and um, North Carolina game, the end of the game in one market was not shown due to a Heidi like if anybody know about Super Bowl Heidi interrupting it and people not seeing the end of the game. Uh, in Columbus, uh, there was a weather alert that came up during the last seconds of the Kentucky UNC game, and oh, man, they even sick. messed it up to the point that the weather alert didn't show. It was just a vi- It was a black screen, and it was just a sound. So <laughs> hilarious. Somebody got um, rolled up for that. Right. One. So- sorry, not sorry. But um, just to, you know, those things still happen in today's modern day age. But, hey, it is, it is what it is. Before we get on to our picks, all right, real quick question, Q. I'm going to do two rapid fires at you, two different subjects, yep. and then we'll jump back into our pick. So Michigan State Athletic Department is in the midst of dealing putting out two huge fires, one still not through uh, being resolved, the other is the gymnastic uh, sexual assault, abuse aspect. How, what are the next steps for MSU to recover from this, or can they recover from this? Because I don't think the, they've hit rock bottom yet. I don't know, because I found out something today in the – in the anti Mark Dan Coach D'Antonio presser that wasn't previously revealed that there are some other suspensions on that football team. We knew that potentially there the three players involved with the sexual assault were gonna be kind of dealt with. But he said there's some other guys out there that aren't playing now, aren't practicing and won't be part of the team for a part of the team for a period of time. This I mean depending on what that information is, what those indiscretions are, he may have to have a come-to-Jesus meet with Mark Holland. And and what that means is, I don't know if it's at the point of being fired, but something has to happen where you you light something up with the under, you light up, send a message to the program, like this stuff is not being tolerated. You have a... I know for sure there's a player that's awaiting some 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 legal, some legal um, ramifications for spitting at a cop. Uh, there were some rumors potentially about uh, another star player and some weed. I don't know how true that one is, but I'm like, dude, this is lack of institu- lack of institutional control, and it, it, it it's almost sad that we both follow a lot of. Michigan State alum, uh, Michigan State fans on Facebook, on various social media sites. And I'm going to ask you, because I have, maybe you've seen it and I haven't. Have you seen your Michigan State fans 
called their their program out on the carpet about all of this. Not just the football. I can see people kind of waiting with the football situation, but that gymnastic situation is an ugly thing. And I actually had somebody in this trash talk Big Ten group uh, try to come at me because I likened it worse than the Penn State situation. He's like, it's not that same. I'm like, when you have a a doctor sexually assault a 15-year-old, one of the victims be be a 15-year-old in addition to 60 other women? Yes, it is. Because he was using his his influence as an employee of the university to take advantage of women. And for as many feminists, as many uh, pro-women that I know all my time, I don't want to say for them to be so silent, it's almost frightening. Yeah, I haven't heard. I haven't heard people really address that. It's kind of like that elephant in the room. The overall embarrassment, kind of, kind of similar to kind of how, like you said, with the Penn State thing. Like either people were quiet who were Penn State folk, or they defended the situation and tried to say it wasn't as bad as it is. But I mean, it's. It's undeniable how bad it it really is, but once again, we only know a small portion of what has occurred considering all of the accusations. So it, it has to be much worse, and that aspect, I think, deals will fall, once again, fall on the athletic director, fall, well, the, the, I think the gymnastic coach already quit. It falls on, on that aspect, but the football team is the well, no, Michigan State. I'm not sure where it lies. I think basketball still may rank king, um, but um, you know, football is a close second, in my opinion. And right. with them coming with this negative, uh, you know, this negative press afterwards, uh, it 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 just makes everybody look bad. And then here's the other thing with Antonio, like we said, with the empty presser. For the most part today, and granted, it's a difficult situation. It's almost like why come and say something if you can't say something, um, and that's kind of what came, what you what you came in with and you left with. Everybody thought he was going to say something, and he really didn't because he really can't because there's really nothing to say because the investigation is still going on. Um, but with even uh, with that, he he opened himself up for more scrutiny, saying, "Well, we're not going to it's trivial to talk about." football today, but the spring game is Saturday. You're going to have players that are not there. The media is going to recognize, and then it's going to be either false accusations. You want to be able to control the narrative as a university instead of letting the media. You're going to have some irresponsible media folks because if you go ahead and start making assumptions of who's guilty and who's suspended for this and who's suspended for that, you're wrong. But if you're saying that, hey, these guys aren't here, and if you ask the question, well, are, is this player injured? Is this player injured? Or who's injured? And these pay- so now these players are suspended. So the 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 the, the deducing to determine what's what, people are going to go ahead and get and think and guess, and then you're going to have to come back as a university to address it instead of getting out in front of it and say, well. These guys, I mean, you already know people got suspended on suspicion. We're not saying they're guilty, but these are the guys that got got suspended. It's, it's a different thing, I think, than like the Lions 
not saying injuries or Caldwell being just evasive and asking questions. It's not injury questions. It's not legal issues. It's not things that are non-football. These things are non-football that are truly affecting football. And granted, he's trying to keep things close to the vest, trying to act like his business as usual or as close to that as possible. And it's not, and it puts them all in a tough situation. I mean, I don't even really think there's a right answer in this situation. But you're going to have, I guarantee you, Sunday Sunday morning, a ton of, or even Saturday evening, a ton of articles coming out with the speculation of who are the suspended and who, uh, I mean, suspended players and kind of guessing of, yeah, this one may be, this player may be this because we haven't seen him and that and whatever, but it's about to be a crazy house. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, like you said, they would have been better off not having it at all and just letting the speculation kind of continue to simmer because not saying anything when we know something is there or, oh, we're not going to talk about football, we're not going to talk about that, well, what are you going to talk about then? It's, it's, it's frustrating. And I know state fans are in a no-win situation with that, but you have to, I mean, this is your program. Now, let Jim Harbaugh be dealing with a situation like this. Not only would this have made all the local the local news outlets, but this would have been probably the lead story on ESPN. And it shows mm-hmm. how impactful Harbaugh is as a coach when he really, I mean, for keeping it real, hasn't done much. Um. But you have a coach in D'Antonio that has won multiple Big Ten championships within the college football playoffs a couple of years ago, and nobody's talking about this outside of the state of Michigan. That it, it, I mean, you hate to say it, but that shows where Michigan State stands in the relevancy of college football. I guarantee if this was Alabama, USC, Florida State, Florida, Ohio State, even now Penn State. If this would have been James Franklin and Penn State, they would have, there would have been a bigger uproar about this. Uh, Texas, even though they've been struggling. Uh, Miami with Mark Rick. There are certain teams that you know, okay, if something's going on with their program, we're sending ESPN, Fox Sports, all the heavy hitters to go cover it. I haven't seen anything about this press conference from no other outlet besides the Michigan, the local Michigan papers, or I mean the, the local Michigan outlet. And that should say something. You guys love him, and he's done great things for the program. But he's still, this is still, and this is why people, I mean, this is why people use this phrase. You guys are still little brothers. Y'all, y'all are in the in the in the the, the shadow that's being casted in the Big Ten by a bunch of other teams now, and this is a pivotal year for them. Don't let Maryland catch you. Don't let Penn State stay ahead of you. Because I look at quarterback play, and maybe this is getting a little ahead, and we still have some other stuff to talk about. But now we're maybe seeing the fact that Connor Cook. 
and um, Kirk Cousins were the anomaly and not the standard at quarterback because last year was a mess. I don't see this year getting too much better because now you got another somewhat first-year starter unless Lewerke comes up. I, I've seen some people call him from beside the Weaver. So if, he, if the Weaver starts, that's a first-year starter that you're expected to come in and do something. Has to go to Michigan. I think has to go to Columbus. So those are potentially two losses or first, first. I mean, being real, even with Michigan losing what they did, you have Don Brown and his system, and you have a returning experienced quarterback. We we know how quarterback play dictates not only in high school, definitely college, and most importantly in the pros. So don't act like this is, oh, they're just going to plug and play a new guy in there. And where has the helpful LJ Scott been? If one of the players has been speculated to be involved in this situation, isn't returning, that was their best returning receiver. So what are you going to do? That, that's, that's the question, and it's, it's a tough question. And once again, it's going to have to be answered sooner or later. And how it's handled will speak volumes of where Michigan State is as a program. People may not look at it that way, but they have to handle it in the right manner. Otherwise, they're going to have problems. Major problems. Right. That is the status of, of what happens when you, when things occur and it's not addressed. But, so my next question is a question that a lot of people are asking, and I don't think anybody has going to have the right answer. It would be to be determined, but I want to get your opinion. So Alonzo Ball has declared himself for the NBA draft. Only question I have is, can he live up to the hype created by his dad on the next level? Uh, can he? I mean, it's quite possible. I've seen when you have guys like Dwayne Wade and other pros applauding his game, applauding his court savvy, his court IQ, I think he's in a better position than most point guards coming in, but it's still his father, that situation with his father. I mean, now you have now you have that big target. Now you have the target of from his pop saying he's better than Steph Curry. That target of LeBron James calling out LeBron James kids, calling out other pros and their their sons. That's where I've always had the issue with. I don't have some I never saw an issue with LeBron Ball hyping up the, the the triple B business, uh, saying that his son was a great player. But when you start bringing out others to push your son up, when your son still has to play these guys in the next couple of years, that's where it's problematic. He could, I mean, there's this conversation about him getting a reality show. Do that. Sell your brand. Sell, if you can pull off that billion-dollar endorsement deal with, B, with Triple B, more power to you. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with him being his son's, all three of his son's biggest cheerleaders. 
We need more of that. But when you start making it a spectacle of yourself and calling out some of the greats, that's when it gets out of hand. That's when it's like, dude, go have a seat. Because we've seen and I've seen conversations where people have mentioned other athletes and their fathers over bearing fathers. We didn't see Todd Marinovich's father calling out uh, the top defensive end of that era of the 90s, saying, oh, my son is going to throw for 300 yards against your defense. Or we didn't see um, the Mannings saying, oh, yeah, we had, I had to make the two best quarterbacks in the NFL. We're going to rewrite the playbook. We're going to destroy the NFL defense. No, Archie never said that. But that's what LeVar is insinuating with these comments and these conversations. And I think that's what's going to rub the league the wrong way and then these and the, and the media. The media is, is heartless. When it comes time, let him have a bad game. They're not going to question. They're not going to just treat him like another rookie having a bad game. So how does your father think of it? So in regards to your father, the comments that your father made yesterday or something, outlandish that he's going to say again, that's the problem. Yeah, and that, you know, that's the thing is, yeah, he can play, he can play well, but dealing with all of the things that come along with his dad, it's hard enough being an NBA rookie. It's hard Uh enough probably playing for a bad team being the top, a, a high draft pick. All of these things added on to, on top of that, unnecessarily. And now he's involving himself in that as well, claiming to be the best point guard in, in the Pac-12. For unnecessary, the thing is, you're no longer in the Pac-12. Let's just go ahead and show how you gonna, how you gonna make it happen. And that's that's where it is now. I mean, the trash talking the NBA is all done on the court. Only the established player players get to talk off the court and have the trash talk promoted for for matchups. Right now, you have everything uh-huh. to prove. You've done it on the level for a short period of time in thirty thirty two games, maybe. That's a small sample size. And doing it day in and day and day out. I mean, I can't remember the last time a rookie dominate. You could be the rookie of the year without dominating. I'm talking about dominating the league, not just dominating as a rookie. Uh-huh. So, mm-mm. we'll see. But it to me, it, it's going to be very interesting. And I thought one thing that was I thought it was going to be real interesting that ended real quick was. Uh, was offered going to go back to Indiana, but Indiana wanted no parts of that conversation, didn't even allow him to get involved. They may have made a call to see if he was interested before they pulled the the the, the trigger on Archie Miller's seven-year deal. That's a long deal. Um, but yeah. I think what happened with that was they wanted Arch, I mean, they wanted offered to go through the process be interviewed, be considered, but know that there were other candidates being 
pushed as far as as well. Like, he didn't, and I don't know how 100% true this is, but he didn't want to go through that. He wanted the job. He wanted them to just hand him the job on the silver platter, and Indiana wasn't going to do that. And because of that, he slow played them, and they were like, okay, fine, then. we're going to go, we're going to do what we have to do to get our coach. We're not going to settle just for you. And seeing how he, I mean, he's had some success in UCLA, but you have to ask yourself, was this year and the goodness that he's had out there in Westwood because of his coaching style, his recruiting ability, or him just striking the lottery with the players that were already slated for UCLA or enamored with UCLA despite him being the coach. I mean, he struggled at Iowa. He really didn't do much in New Mexico. So um, this is a guy that, I mean, it's the, the ultimate example of privilege. He he, he stumbled into a, a great job where, I mean, kind of like what Crane did. Crane was at Indiana. He he really didn't have to recruit the school because everybody knows what Indiana is. Indiana is a basketball haven. UCLA is basketball royalty. So all you have to say, if I, I walk in someone's school, in someone's in the high school gym, someone's a parent's house with that UCLA script on my on my polo, they know what that means. I just don't mm-hmm. have I just can't mess it up. And I think cream Show this year with just how Indiana had so much talent on that team. He did less. He did less with more than I've ever seen him do in his time. And he, I think everybody was like, okay, why did they fire him? His Big Ten record. He, I think he was twenty games under, either ten games or twenty games under five hundred in the Big Ten conference. That's unacceptable as an Indiana coach. Yes, he won the conference a couple of years, but he had some down years, some very, some very disappointing years, I mean, including this year. Uh, for them to have the talent that they did with James Blackman and a couple other guys, yes, they lost a couple, one or two guys to injury, but they still were more talented than Northwestern. They still were equally talented as Minnesota. So why – you should be able to sleepwalk yourself into an eight seed or a nine seed in, in Indiana every year. But when you look at the fact that arguably the best player in the state of Indiana for the 2017 class is going to Michigan State, people start wondering why can't he keep the top players in state. And I mean, you're going to have to deal with Notre Dame. You're going to have to deal with Purdue, but you're losing guys like Jaron Jackson, who's the number five power forward in the country, to Michigan State. You lost a handful of teammates to other schools that aren't Indiana. You lost a guy, uh, Jordan Poole, coming to Michigan, one of the top shooting guards in the country. Like, why, why is this happening? That should be – you should grow up in Indiana – desiring that crimson and cream for a number of reasons, but especially specifically for Indiana basketball. But it's not happening. And that's why you couple that with the, the losing record, the, the disappointing season this year, 
they figured something had to give, and Archie Miller was one of those guys that a lot of people figure, okay, he's happy at Davis. He's this is a guy. This is it may not be the the blue bloods, but this is a, a position where be it, be it uh, college basketball, I can make it to the Sweet 16 for a couple straight years of I get the right blend of seniors, a precocious freshman that comes in and give us a, a bump up in scoring that we hadn't been seeing. Um, that's why Chris Mack at uh, Xavier isn't going anywhere. He's, he's like, I'm in uh, a, hot, a hotbed of recruiting in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm in the Big East. Outside of it being a dream school for me, maybe Ohio State, and that's what, or a, a bigger program like that. Why am I going to leave it, leave Xavier to go to uh, Minnesota or even Indiana? I can I can recruit the same guys that Indiana is. I might beat them once in a while for it. I'm in a, I'm one of the top three or four teams in the, the Big East, and I'm guaranteed. If I do what I got to do, uh, between the four seed and the six seed every year, and uh, there is no football team for me to contend with as far as the budget reasons, attention, and all that stuff. And I think that's the one thing. Even going back to Michigan, that's what a lot of Michigan fans still to realize. They were so hard on Beeline. Oh, he needs to go before this this tournament run. Before the conference tournament run, even the, the NCAA tournament run, he's not doing enough. And I'll admit his his uh, recruiting has left a lot to be desired. He had some mess ups. He dropped the ball with a couple of guys. But his X's and O's and his player development, I haven't seen the coach do more with less in my lifetime. When you tell me other than – Glenn Robinson and Mitch McGarry, and I put Cam Chapman in there, but I don't know why he was a five star. Those are the only five star players he's had. But how many guys has he sent to the NBA? Trey Burke, whose only other offer was Penn State. Tim Hardaway Jr., who couldn't even get offers from the ACC living in Miami. Karis LeVert, who was committed to Ohio. Nick Stauskas, who was a um, he was a four-star, but he was little known. Now you still now you look at Mo Wagner from Germany. Little, he was a toss in. Okay, we just gonna see if we can bring him in, maybe get something out of him. Uh, DJ Wilson. Nobody expected this from him. Um, even uh, Duncan Robinson, even though he can't play defense to save his life, he's a specialist. They find he finds ways of getting things, and, I, and that's the thing with college coaches. Unlike with football, you don't have to have the best talent to win all the time. Look at Villanova. Look at when Butler went to back-to-back Final Fours. They didn't have the best players on the on the on the court out of those four teams, but their coaching staff was great. And I think hopefully with Archie Miller going to Indiana that kind of resuscitates that program. And we'll see what the offer does in UCLA when that talent kind of cycles out and they he gets a, a, a dead period where he has to use a bunch of filler to load up that roster so he can get some seniors, so he can get some upperclassmen to go along with those one or two 
five stars or one or two one and done guys that he's going to continue try to chasing after because you can't win like that. I mean, look at the four teams in the final four. They have veteran leadership. How many championships has Calipari won with that one and done mentality? One. One. So. Like I said, it's the the full approach and how everything does. There's more than one way to be successful in doing it that way. Once again, and I think with Beeline, it escapes him because everybody wants that that stud. But I mean, <clears throat> that stud will find it hard pressed and hard to pull the trigger to come to Michigan if they are really. I'm talking about number one player in the country because. The way the program is, is it's structure, it's it's alignment. There's no really room for – there's room for you to excel, but it's not excel in a one-on-one type matchup. Freestyle. Right. You're not going to be able to freestyle like you want. Exactly. Now, I've got to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Um, there was – this was 2001. There was a coach. That supposed that had made an agreement to take the Michigan job. He's since gone to another school, had some great success. Mister Rick Pitino, do you think if he keeps that job, Michigan has a national championship by now? Um, I would say probably so. Um, because of the type of players that he recruits. Um, which would put them, I mean, it would put them under the same scrutiny and the same uh, dim spotlight that Louisville is at this point in time. And I made a joke about it when <laughs> you missed the other day. Like, <laughs> he far too many strip clubs in, in, in Detroit. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at how the last scandal in Michigan, how it unfolded. Uh, and how it worked out, when you bring in Patino, who has had his his issues with things occurring in his programs, um, I just think we would have won, but we would have kind of paid for it. Um, and some people would take that championship and be happy about it. Hell, we almost got one without it. Against Patino. Yeah. So, uh I, I I like the way we do it. A lot of people want it faster. I like the way we've done it. I mean, I, I'm talking about the way we've done it, and I'm not talking about I'm happy with all the hires, but I'm talking about from Ellerby to uh, – I can't think of you, boy. What's your guy from – who's at Harvard? Um, Amaker. Amaker to where we are now. Um. And now what you're seeing, which we hadn't seen since Steve Fisher, the coaches from underneath the head coach's coaching tree getting head jobs. Yeah. That that speaks volumes to, to where the pro, program is going to. So I think we probably will have a championship, but I think we will be paying for it sooner than later. And I'd rather have it and never have to worry about it leaving or it'd be an asterisk or tainted or just speculation. Um, I'll, I'll take it how we are now. 
Hey, granted, this is coming from the person how many weeks ago? Six? No, it couldn't even been six weeks ago. Five, a month ago, maybe, when I went on my rant about Michigan uh, basketball and how I prefer to miss the tournament the way that they were playing. And <laughs> if I play, I, you know what I should do? I should really, like, take that audio of my rant and play it against the highlights from the games from the, after the Ohio State game all the way until the last game of the season. Because it seems, of course, I know it's not true, but it seems like the whole team heard that Beeline used it as some motivational <laughs> piece, and they just took off with it. Like, they were listening to it every day. Like, man, this this is how our fans really feel. They think we this, and we're going to show them. And that's kind of how how they played. I'm happy about it. Maybe if I go on Ranch more, it'll happen. Who knows? I doubt it. Not claiming it, but you know, it is what yeah, it is. I mean, but I was right there with you because after that Ohio State loss, I was like, man, I I wipe my hands of the team for the for the season because I figured they they giving up. So why should I care? <laughs> so I mean, it, it it shows how resilient they were and how much fight they. And they still have moments where it's like, man, they could have finished this play, finished that play. And just watch. I'm looking forward to the progression from DJ, from Mo, see if uh, Charles Matthews, the transfer from uh, Kentucky, can bring them anything. And find out if Xavier, Xavier Simpson is ready to step up. Um, definitely interesting. I already see Big Ten did their preview for the 2017-18 the season. They got them Michigan slated to finish eighth. Um, and Michigan fans upset about it, but it is what it is. When you lose your point guard, that's your heart and soul. Um, and you're not sure if the backup is ready. That's a lot. That's a hard question to ask. That's. I mean, I would rather have them be put eighth and overachieve than be put third or fourth and fall on their face. I mean, you look at, you know, and with the announcement now, and even though I wasn't a fan of of Mark Donnell, but Mark Donnell choosing transfer, I mean, he was just a body. Okay, it was a huge uh-huh. step down where either DJ or Mo Wagner got hurt. I mean, got hurt, got in foul trouble, and Donnell had to come in the game. Yeah. But that's where I think um, the upgrade with Austin Davis, because from what I've been hearing from some people close to the program, uh, Beeline was kind of upset that he redshirted him instead of redshirting John Teske because he was Davis, who's a 6'10", 245-pound senior, I mean center, um, was giving everybody the work. Whereas Tessie looked out of place. Tessie looked like the guy that was like, okay, needed to have a year of season. So if you figure Austin Davis comes in ready to play, Evie Watson and Xavier Simpson have another year under Cap Sanderson and get stronger, get prepared, um, this could be a, a team that starts. This could be the equivalent of what many people look at Michigan State teams. 
start off slow, but by the time the the Big Ten season comes, they're prepared because they they've been through that fire. Yeah, I mean that's the type of to me those are the type of teams that are playing well at at the right time uh, of the season. And you know I'm, I think I'm gonna start a GoFundMe for the DJ Wilson layup camp because if that cap is one more layup under the <laughs> bucket like he lost his, his uh, sense of direction and his, his uh, compass is off, uh, we're going to have some problems. But I love the progression of him and Mo this year. The thing is, and this is the thing that we've seen it in a few players, because a lot of players that had that, that sophomore progression, they end up leaving after that. These guys are not leaving. Uh, but I want to see that progression of next year. I do not want to see, and I will give his brother his credit, how he played in the tournament. Zach Irvin. I do not want to see a Zach Irvin by DJ and Bob. Because right. if they progress more, that's a nice tandem, even though they don't bang down low. But it sets a hell of a matchup problems for some bigs in and out of conference. So, just want that to be the case. All right. We're like all right at the two-hour mark. All right, Q. Let's go ahead and give our pick. The first matchup. We have... Uh-oh. Where'd it go? South Carolina versus Gonzaga. I think the Zags are playing... Your uh, great ball balance, they kind of overlooked. I think they're kind of overshadowed, even though it's their first Final Four. I think they're kind of overshadowed by South Carolina with historically of where they are and Oregon not being there since 37 or 39, one of the two. I think they are overlooked, but I think South Carolina playing like a junkyard dog can wheel themselves to a victory. Uh, a classic uh, dirty, dirty versus the the West Coast uh, matchup, and I think that South Carolina will put itself into its first championship game. Hmm. Um, I think Cinderella's glass slipper breaks, and it's going to be at the hands of. The Gonzaga Bulldogs. I think they just have too much going right now. They're playing the inside-outside game. It's going a little bit too well, and I just think that they are going to be able to do what they have to do to get the win. Um, Williams Goss, the transfer from Washington, gave them, I think, how many points? 23 points against Xavier. I think he's going to be, he's going to be the key. Him and Karnofsky are going to be the key um, on both sides of the ball. And I just think that Gonzaga has too much. They go, how far are they, 8D? I just think that they're going to be ready. And if he was going to have those boys hungry and ready to go. So I got Gonzaga advancing to the championship game. Okay. So you got Gonzaga in the other matchup, Oregon versus North Carolina. Um, 
in this, I think Oregon has kind of run out. I think North Carolina has a chance to realize that they dodged the bullet being able to play, um, you know, a lackluster game and, and win against a storied program. Um, so I had North Carolina winning this with or without. That's the key for me. If Barry is hoppled and, or God forbid he misses the game, I got to get an advantage to Oregon. Um, we saw what Dylan Brooks, um, we saw what uh, that whole roster can do. Um, it's, it's scary. When when they're going, they're going good. And I just think that if, um, if North Carolina's point guard is hobbled, then Dorsey is going to eat them alive. You can't. I think uh, – Jordan Bell may not have a dominating game like he did with the eight blocks, but if he can force the the UNC players to kind of second guess their shooting inside, that could play a factor. And I just think I'm a, I'm gonna go with the upset. Um, everybody's expecting UNC, and I think Oregon is gonna feel dis, uh, disrespected. And I think the key is. Brooks and Dorsey are going to get there. But if Dylan Ennis can have a, a, a pretty good game, because he has, he's a he's a small guard. He's 6'2", but he plays a lot bigger than that. And if he can get around the, the, the 12 to 15-point range and Bell ends up with three blocks, I think Oregon is going to find some way. And the way they switch defensively, they gave Michigan a flux with that, and they definitely gave uh, Kansas. And I see them continuing that against North Carolina, so I got Oregon winning. So it's going to be a West Coast final, which we haven't seen in a while. Haven't seen the West Coast team win the uh, NCAA championship since Arizona in 1997. So this is going to be the first one as we have Oregon taking on Gonzaga. West Coast and the West Coast. All right, so well, opposite ends of the spectrum. I had South oh, South Carolina versus North Carolina, the Battle of the Carolinas. For some reason, apparently, I wasn't paying attention too much because I didn't even look at that as a possibility. So you got the Battle of the Carolinas <laughs> versus the Battle of the Sunshine State. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to go with mine. I just think at the end of the day, the experience, everything, and the, even though some people really don't give, uh, I was about to call him Dean Smith. Uh, and then I was about to call Roy him Williams. Then I was about to call him Digger Phelps. What the heck? Uh, Roy, <laughs> he was just all over the place. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, he gets sometimes uh, accused of being uh, too much of a, a old golly gee. Gomer Pyle type of coach, but he's an X's and O's. He knows his stuff. I think at the end of the day, he just has overall better athletes, better players, and they're going to show it. They're not going to even leave it to chance that they can lose at the last minute buzzer beater. North Carolina is going to get the title that they should have got last year. Okay, man. 
I'm gonna just ride out with the their football team got a lot of attention and me expected them to to raise the championship banner before the basketball team, but I think Dana Altman has done a great job coming from Creighton and still in his system and, and finding the right blend of guys to get it done. I'm going with the Ducks. I'm going with the Ducks. I just I don't think I can go with the Ducks just with Joey Harrington. I I really not even the, wow. the same sport, but that's just uh that's just how I feel. But hey, that's just me. But with that folks, you have predictions. We're on the opposite side. This is we started with point counterpoint and our predictions are kinda like point counterpoint. Uh the battle of the of the Kakalakas versus the Sunshine State. So we'll see how it is. We may even get some live action uh, maybe Sunday to to revamp our predictions because knowing what I pick, hell, where am I picking, Ben? You may have a team that's not even in the Final Four make it to the championship game. So uh, with that, <laughs> check out our podcast, which will be up and available tomorrow on the website as well as on uh, www.blogtalkradio.com slash sportsqa. Make sure you follow us on there. Check us out again on Twitter, on Instagram, sports underscore qa underscore, uh, and then also underscore preps. Um, check out our website, www.sportsqanda.com. And the book, low, L-O-W-E, the letter N, Washington, in sports Q&A. Check us out. We'll be back. We'll talk about who is the national champion. And then talk about, you know, after this, there's nothing else to talk about. Well, I don't want to say nothing else. But it's still going to be football time. We're going to be prepping for our annual sports Q&A mock draft, which we have about, about three or four what? weeks to go ahead get finished. No, not even a month. Like, Three weeks, because we want to do it before the draft. And uh, baseball is upon us next week. So we're going to try to get our our baseball aficionado, Darren, back on there and give us a little Tigers preview going into next week. And with that, folks, we are out of here. Holla at you all next week. Until then, be safe and uh, watch some good basketball. We out. Hey, and don't tank. Play it out. <laughs> it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.